Welcome to Mystery and Intrigue, the new name for both Spies of London and Citizen Detective. The new name reflects crime, that's mystery, and espionage, that's intrigue, and emphasises that we're all about the riddles and unexplained wrinkles in some of the world's most addictive mysteries. Coming up this week, we have The Red Atlas, a beautiful book about mapping the Cold War from the perspective of the USSR. And we have a book review, The London Cage, by Helen Fry, which is about secret and probably illegal torture and interrogation facilities in London and the southeast of England. The Red Atlas is a brilliant, clever and beautiful book, and that's all you need to know. If you want more details, uh, around the last half of the book is given over to highly detailed, crisply presented maps created by the USSR for various western cities, plus some other locations within the USSR itself. So you can find pages with Newcastle, Liverpool, Bristol, and then New York and Los Angeles, as well as parts of Russia, Ukraine, and so on. What is telling about these maps is that they show what the military masterminds behind them considered important. Sometimes where military dockyards and other facilities have been redacted from Western maps, you can see in great detail what was missing by looking at the Russian maps. That's right, folks. The British government succeeded in hiding details from British eyes, but not from the enemy. Another example of how stupid and futile censorship is, especially so when you consider that older British maps had the redacted content unredacted. So a trip to the public library would have allowed any Russian spy to see what was now deemed classified. The other half of the book, the front half, is an engrossing and well-told account of how these maps came to be created and the massively labour-intensive process that made them not only beautiful to look at, but rich in detail and highly accurate. Each one is a work of art, nevertheless with a somewhat sinister background. The Red Atlas by John Davis and Alexander J. Kent is a wonderful coffee table hardback for any spy fan and is available from all the usual. Unfortunately, I can't let you have this copy because it was a present and because it was just slightly damaged in the post. That's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. London Cage by Helen Fry. The London Cage was not unique. It was just the London end of a network of interrogation facilities which today would be illegal. In today's enlightened times, when a single tweet can land you in prison, that's no surprise. But the London cage was so controversial, so immoral, some might say, that it was covered up even during World War II, 80 years ago. Such antics were justified during the most recent war in Iraq. It was a fantastic stretch to claim that the West was at war with Iraq, which was at best an impoverished nation, by that time unable to conduct war outside its borders due to Western sanctions. But by claiming that Europe and America were somehow at risk from these weapons of mass destruction, which never existed, the governments of particularly Britain and the US were able to justify appalling interrogation techniques which were illegal in most countries. And so to get around this loophole, this law, this inconvenience, they began a game of hide-and-seek where suspects were taken away to countries where torture is not illegal or quasi- illegal locations that don't really exist like Guantanamo Bay, which could claim to belong to no nation at all. These things have a way of getting out, of course. And the blunt and palatable truth 
is that some of the terrorists who were tortured by the West have recently been awarded very high six and seven figure damages from those same people who took them away for what we used to call an extraordinary rendition but is now called torture. In effect, the terrorists we sought to deter we ended up giving millions of pounds to later on. And that's before you even consider the morality question. These lessons could have been learned at the London Cage. Indeed, they were learned in World War II at the London Cage. But those doing the learning had unfortunately died long before 2003. And that's what I find so intriguing about history in general, is that there's nothing really in the world that could happen that hasn't already happened. And because politicians these days are not historians, perhaps they're not really anything other than jobbing politicians, they don't know that the mistakes they're about to make have already been made. If they knew that, they could better arm themselves against failure. But no, the only people who care less about history than politicians are business people. Those captains of industry, best represented today by the tech bros, who think they can solve the world's problems, stretching back millennia and millennia and beyond, if only they could create the right app. Yes, it seems ridiculous that you can solve anything with an app, apart from knowing how many steps you didn't do yesterday afternoon in the park, because of course, they don't count steps. They're never accurate. I've myself done countless steps while reading a book. Paul asked me to put that part in. So Britain faced a very severe threat in the Second World War. No doubt, it was a proper threat, not like the fake Iraq threat, but a real threat. And nobody disagreed with it. Everyone believed that Germany would attack Britain after their success in France, and everyone was eager for news for when it might happen. When would it happen? Where would it happen? How big would it be? Would it be by sea, by air, by both? One way to find out, of course, would be to ask captured Germans, who, equally obviously, were not too keen to talk. This was a gradual process, but eventually it was thought a good idea to bring them to a specialist location, either in London, in Kensington Palace Gardens, or perhaps the home counties, and give them the soft cushion. When that didn't work, matters escalated. Everyone, of course, was too busy being bombed to know what questions to ask of the military or the government, and the whole thing got buried. If there is anything Britain is good at, it's hiding stuff. Unfortunately, some of the key people who did know what was going on began to get itchy feet. Some say they spoke out of conscience, which is partly true, I think. Helen Fry has found in her brilliant book on this subject, which is a whole new area for me that I didn't even know was happening, you know, on the very paths and pavements where I take my spy walkers, that at least part of the motive in publishing these details back then, or at least documenting them, was self-protection. In fact, the books were not published or they were heavily redacted, and really the, the meat of what was going on in the cage was not known at the time at all outside of the need-to-know individual circle. Some people believe that what they took part in was so explosive, so immoral perhaps, that the German torture victims' families might come after them, either in the courts or worse. I don't believe this explanation, and this is why. It would have first of all been easy for those involved to keep stum. Okay, one or two might have blabbed 20, 30, 50 years later. But essentially, it would have been an easy secret to keep, not least because some of the people they interrogated died or were executed. And anyway, the chance in 1950s Britain, imagine this, of a German citizen bringing a legal action against a British soldier or other military bigwig or minister of the government is zero. 
And let me tell you why. Let's look back at Iraq. The people who sued the government of Britain for torture, who were awarded vast amounts of money in damages, never went to court. The government settled the actions before the evidence could be produced. And that is precisely what would have happened to the London cage victims. So there is no possibility that the Germans, the families of the victims, would have taken successful legal action. Zero chance. So that leaves either guilt or money, and one might be seen as more admirable than the other. Is it better to confess out of a sense of conscience or to confess to sell a book? And it's impossible to overstate the belief at that time that Britain was going to be attacked. It's easy for us to say now because we know Germany never attacked Britain apart from a little thing you might have heard of called the Battle of Britain. There was never a land invasion in the way France was overrun. So it's easy for us to say, oh, people were overreacting. But we didn't know at the time the full military status of Germany, just what we'd observed in France. We didn't know what they had up their sleeve. We didn't know how many forces they might bring to Britain. We knew they were active in Russia, but maybe they would temporarily divert forces to overrun Britain and then turn attention back towards Russia afterwards. And it's just as we overestimated the threat from Iraq. Paranoia and fear had reached a peak, and people decided that all the rules, including the Geneva Convention, were off. If Jerry was coming, we were sure as hell going to find out how they were coming, when they were coming, and who they were bringing. We didn't find out, of course. We know now, perhaps we knew then, that torture doesn't actually work. Despite some very logical and deeply held beliefs, especially if you can try this on your kids, you tend to think that if you can just apply enough pressure or enough coercion, they will suddenly tell you the truth. But of course, highly trained German soldiers are not children. I mean, that doesn't really need saying. And even if they were, any child in full tickle will tell you anything to make you stop tickling. Anything. Could be true or not. And you have no way of telling. Lighting a candle under someone's toes will not make them like you. And it certainly won't make them tell the truth. In fact, it might even make them lie more believably. Because, of course, there is the possibility that the person you're asking doesn't actually know anything. So if you continually abuse them to try and get you to say something that you don't know, you're going to make it up. You're going to just say anything. And the more outlandish your claims, the more likely they are to be believed. So if you said, oh yes, we have a secret nuclear missile that's all ready to go and we can drop it with a moment's notice odds on it will be believed so anyway the london cage and its network of similar facilities one of them near the mystery and intrigue studio here in beaconsfield were opened up with the express intent of torturing some would say interrogating prisoners of war so before we get too worked up about this i think it's quite clear what i think about it but it's nevertheless a fascinating topic episode for all current and future government ministers especially mod officials this is not a new book i try not to cover the really new books because the publishers push a lot of publicity out on those anyway so i look for these long tail books that i think have stood the test of time and london cage is one of them but this deserves another look and helen fry has written other books since then which are also worth a look i haven't read them in detail yet and i'm I'm going to, I've got them on my list. Helen's pulled off a great achievement to uncover the inner secrets of the London cage and I really enjoyed this one which arrived in my Christmas stocking. 
The files relating to the cage have never been released. Many of them are believed to have been deliberately destroyed. Certainly they have been destroyed, many of them. The official story being that they were lost in a completely unbelievable and unlucky fire of the same kind that befell the SOE files, strangely enough. Isn't it amazing how paper can just catch itself on fire when there are hundreds of people trying to keep it secret? The book details are in the show notes. That's The London Cage by Helen Fry, available wherever you like to buy your books. Notice how many different ways I can find not to use the word Amazon. So that was episode two of season three of Mystery and Intrigue. There are lots of new things for you to look at on our online store at crimespies.com. That is all one word, crimespies.com. You can buy pulp fiction, you can buy rare books, you can buy spy walks. We're really ramping up the retail side of this for 2021. All optional and the podcast will always remain free. We look forward to bringing you more Mystery and Intrigue very soon.